This is another iRaw podcast. We podcast to make the world a better place for animals. Hi, welcome to Storytelling Animals, a podcast about climate, ecology, and other animals. Um, where many episodes, I speak to people who write books um, about these issues and talk to them about their books and the ideas in their books. Um, this is going to be a little different. Um, well, in one way, it's not different. So my guest today is Kyle Martindale. He is my brother, among other things. Um, he designed the logo for this podcast, and he is the author of a new children's book um, called The ABCs of the Real Dancing Eagle. The Real Dancing Eagle is a, a sort of art project um, that he uh, started where he makes t-shirts, other clothing, um, with different versions of this eagle artwork. Um, he made my logos, I mentioned, and most recently he made a children's book. Um, so I reached out to him wanting to talk about uh, his book um, for this last episode, um, but he also suggested that we spend much of it actually talking about my podcast. He's also a listener of Storytelling Animals, um, and as many of you know, I technically am on hiatus right now. Um, I finished season two in August of 2023, um, and I just started a PhD program in environmental studies at the University of Colorado Boulder, and so I'm taking a break from the podcast. Um, but I wanted to do one last episode with my brother about his book, and he mentioned that he thought it could be a good time to look back to look back at the history of the podcast, um, or to look back at what I learned um, from doing the podcast, some of my favorite episodes. Um, so yeah, the first part of this episode is about my brother's work, um, his children's book, his artwork, The Real Lance and Eagle. Um, but then we transition into uh, kind of looking back a retrospective on at least, you know, the first year and a half of, um, of Storytelling Animals podcast. As I mentioned, um, this is a podcast that is on hiatus. I don't know when, if ever, I'll, I'll make a season three. Um, so whether this is, you know, the middle of the road or the end of the road for this podcast, um, it's still a nice chance to look back and reflect. Um, I had a lot of fun with our conversation. We talked about not only what I learned, but we both shared some formative encounters with non-human animals that we've had, um, you know, the books that I wish I'd written, my goals for the future, stuff like that. Um, if this is the first episode you've ever listened to, um, you're welcome to give this a shot, but I hope it also encourages you to look back at, at prior episodes. Um, we both share some of our favorites. And yeah, without further ado, here's Kyle Martindale. children's book, ABCs of the Real Dancing Eagle. He is the designer of the logo for this very podcast, Storytelling Animals. Uh, he is my literal brother and and figurative. Uh, Kyle, thanks so much for coming on the show. Well, thank you, Dayton. That was a great uh, introduction. I worked very hard on it. Um, yeah, so on this show, um, you know, I want to introduce listeners to you and some of what you've been up to uh you know the the phenomenon behind this podcast logo and then uh kyle's also going to be um asking me some questions about the podcast in addition to all the things i already said he is a 
a listener of Storytelling Animals. Um, so this will be, you know, like I said, the the last episode certainly of 2023 and possibly the last episode for a while as I pursue my PhD. So this will be a nice chance to look back on the podcast as it's been. Um, all right, ready, Kyle? Sure. So yeah, let's let's start with so this this uh, regular listeners of the pod who have seen my logo know that uh, there is it features an eagle artwork. Um, this this eagle is is known as the dancing eagle, uh, and the real, a lot the, of the real dancing eagle. Dayton. Forgive me. Yes, the real dancing eagle, uh, and um, there are real dancing eagle T-shirts, doodles on Instagram. Now a children's book. Um, at what point did you start doodling eagles? Well, thank you for asking me. And it is a it's a delight to be a guest on your podcast. As you said accurately, I'm a huge fan, and um, I love that I get the opportunity to talk about my my real dancing eagle um, phenomenal, as you as you put it. Um, but also to to be a part of you reflecting on uh, on this podcast, storytelling animals. So when did I start doodling eagles? And I don't know if I was doodling eagles in a past life, but uh, I started at probably about five years old. So it's it's been a lifelong passion. <laughs> it sounds like I'm just kidding. I'm not going to just leave it there. So I, yeah, five years old, I think it's one of the, the drawings that, um, my dad showed me when we would make little stories together and, and he had a very kind of reproducible way of drawing an eagle, the little, you know, circle and hash, 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 and then a beak and then wings, hash, 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 wings, hash, hash, tail. It's just like, oh, I can do that. And so I ended up drawing lots of eagles and I think I just was uh, a fan of of bald eagles in particular as a kid and so i drew a lot of eagles as a kid uh, but then it was about five years ago that i kind of unearthed the eagle uh, from my my deep subconscious and began doodling them again and as you mentioned it started off as a as an instagram account where I would just kind of collect my um, my doodles of eagles. And then I started putting them on t-shirts. And then I created an ABC book called ABCs of the Real Dancing Eagle. What a, yeah, what, just, this is a books podcast. I'm curious just what led to you making it a book. Well, I think, I think the, um, the inspiration of the, so you know, as a as a as a doodling habit, as a creative expression, as a, an art project, you know, it, it definitely uh, inner child connection is definitely one of the the themes. So it kind of made sense to to do a children's book because it was, you know, just it felt uh, freeing for me to be creative in a way that wasn't striving to meet some uh, elusive measure of sophistication because it's kind of like the stick figure version of an eagle 
but uh-huh. uh, but yeah so i don't know if that answers the question no i think that makes a lot of sense um and yeah i i encourage people check it out especially if you have children in your life or inner children uh the artwork is a lot of fun the uh the abcs are some the eagle doing different dance moves so kids get to dance along uh with it some of them may be dance moves you've heard of some of them may be dance moves that will require more creative interpretation i have friends who don't know my brother at all who have raved about the book and it includes a guide on how to draw eagles yourself in case you didn't quite follow the circle hash hash wing earlier (laughs) (laughs) but so yeah so that's my pitch for for kyle's book um is there anything else about the real dancing eagle we should know mm-hmm. what you're working on now or just any more context for the project? Yeah, so as as humble as its beginnings, um I cannot be cannot help but be tempted by grandiose visions for it. Um pretty much taking over the fashion world <laughs> and becoming, you know, people say, you know, Eric Carl, the hungry hungry caterpillar, who? I don't, I don't remember. <laughs> um, wherever you see, you know, a, a polo player embroidered on a on a <laughs> shirt, you know, or or a penguin, or or a crocodile. Instead, you'll see a dancing eagle. Um, so, so that's my vision for it. But um, but what I what I like doing is taking pictures of people dancing, um, taking them myself, or acquiring them from people. Uh, such as yourself and you know friends who send me a fun picture of them dancing and then I'll kind of create an eagle version of them dancing and slap on a t-shirt and that's kind of uh it's kind of what we're up to but the next the next project is probably going to be we start with the ABC book and stands to reason that the next one might be a you know counting one two threes Ooh. book but i i might be half done with Whoa. a not with that one but with a um like artistic masterpieces dancing uh-huh. eagle, like the like a dancing eagle version of the mona lisa uh, creation of adam even the like the da vinci one of from your uh, podcast logo i feel like i could use and you know i think doing like a guernica uh Oh, wow. Dancing Eagles could be fun. And yeah, just kind of The Last Supper, but with Dancing mm-hmm. Eagles. So because I already have some some content for that one, that, that might actually be the next project. Yeah, I think um, that uh, a version of my logo, which is the eagle as uh, Da Vinci's drawing of the Truvian Man, actually makes a cameo in the ABC's book as well. Um, so you can keep your eyes open for that. But yeah, no, I think to kind of bring it into this uh, theme of of the show as well, I don't know, you know, to what extent consciously you're doing this, but I think there's a very fun, like, uh, you know, subversion to taking these great works of art of, like, the history of art, which is seen as this, like, both humanistic and fundamentally human endeavor, um, and, like, giving the Mona Lisa an eagle's head or something. Uh, is just superficially charming, uh, but but also oh, it's only uh, superficially charming, was it? 
but on a deeper level, it's even more charming. No, it, 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 uh, it's a fun little reframing. Yeah, you uh, you actually, when I was first starting this podcast, you asked me, or you you asked me if there were any questions I was planning to ask everyone. And I said I didn't, I hadn't thought about it. And you said that I should ask people if they've ever had a formative experience with another animal. Mm-hmm. And I asked a couple people uh, versions of that question throughout. I ended up not always having time just because I always had so many questions about their books. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was always glad when I did. And I, I wonder if I can turn that around on you. Uh, if you have, other than five-year-old legal drawings, are there any formative experiences with animals that jump to your mind? Hmm. What a generous question. I remember one night being at a park, it was probably 10 or 11 at night, all the lights were off, a very quiet neighborhood, and, you know, there's like a wide open field, and, you know, just out, like, hanging out with a friend or two, and I'm not exactly sure what we were doing at the park, but we were just kind of out, and just being outside, and I saw a coyote come close to us and I kind of went after it and it kind of gambled off a little bit, but it was still kind of in the middle of this wide open field. And I was on the track team, cross country team. I just, I wanted to like test my speed, see if I could catch this coyote or even get close to it. So I opened up to a full sprint and the coyote is kind of just like playfully gambling in front of me, just kind of like loping along and still, and so I, I ended up getting like kind of close to it, like within 10 feet maybe. And right when I got like a little bit too close for its comfort, it just actually started running and just jetted off and <laughs> like, like it disappeared into the night. Um, but for that moment, you know, it was probably only, it was probably like three or four seconds that I was at running at full speed, <laughs> kind of close chasing this coyote. But we were planning for sure. Like it didn't, I could tell it wasn't threatened by me. Uh-huh. It, it, there was a very playful vibe. And so, um, yeah, that, that's, that's the memory that comes to mind. Just like, oh, an animal. And I kind of just played together. This creature and I just <laughs> played together. We weren't necessarily threatened by each other and it was mysterious and also just kind of simple i don't think i've ever heard that story thank you for sharing i'm so glad i asked this was in high school yeah sorry that's, yeah this is back in high school that's incredible um so yeah i i turn it over to you as a listener uh of the podcast um I yeah. will maybe ask for some thoughts you have on the podcast later, but for now, maybe let's just start with what are the questions that came up for you? Yeah. So listening to your podcast um, has been kind of a unique pleasure because I'm really interested in the content and because it's you, my brother, who is, who's recording it and it's not something that you've done before. And so it was just, it's just really fun, but um, I love that you you took that question that I offered of like what formative experiences with animals people might have had. 
Um, because your stories uh, are some of my favorites. Can we, should we, should we tease that for the end? At the end, you're going to give a formative experience encounter you had with an animal. Um, okay. Yeah. So, so as a fan of the pod and um, someone privileged to now sit into the, in the interviewer seat to hear your reflections on the podcast. Um, I'm curious looking at the, the diversity of, of topics that your podcast covered, how important was the balance to you between kind of what I perceive as being kind of a science-based lens and then like a literary based lens? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, um, toward the very beginning, possibly even before I even recorded an episode, um, I was thinking about, like I had to write a, you know, a paragraph description of it for some, to get it on an app or something, to, or I was experimenting with different intros. And I think I said something along the lines of covering, uh, science, philosophy, literature, and politics, or, um, or that those were kind of the four fields I I wanted to to span, um, and I think just a lot of my own background is has kind of danced back and forth between the worlds of science and the worlds of the humanities. Um, so my my undergrad major was in actually astrophysics, which doesn't directly. Uh, have to do with podcasts too much, but indirectly has to do a little bit with everything. Um, but I was interested in, you know, ecology and climate science and, and the scientific aspect of this, but also have always been like a big reader. I took a bunch of English classes, those electives. Um, you know, I've been, been in multiple book clubs outside of the one that I ran for this podcast. Um, and I think it, it kind of just reflects my own broad interests that, um, there's an element of just insofar as this podcast was partially a selfish project of, could I get cool people to talk with me? Mm-hmm. Um, some days I wanted to talk with scientists. Some days I wanted to talk with novelists. Um, and I didn't want to constrain that, but also I think there's, you know, some, some fruitfulness in, you know, putting different fields and conversation with each other, even if it's not in the same podcast episode, um, but just having a place where one is getting, like you said, both scientific and literary um, perspectives on overlapping issues. Uh, I think different disciplines, different fields have a lot to add, uh, and that we, um, insofar as these issues are siloed, um, we don't get the full picture. And my program now is... Um, my, I'm getting my PhD in environmental studies at Colorado, University of Colorado Boulder, and uh, you know I'm mainly focusing on like ethics and political theory questions, uh, but you know a lot of people are scientists, social scientists, into econ, into biology, into um, you know in my cohort of other first year PhD students in this program. Um, there's a wide range of disciplines, and I just I just think that's a little more exciting, and maybe a little more room for for growth or learning new things than um, if we if we only looked from from one direction. 
So it was it was an intentional thing, I guess, to answer your question. But yeah, that resonates with me a lot. It 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 seems like it stems from you having both having a love for multiple disciplines, a wide variety of disciplines, fields of study, um, but also your sense of the possibilities of bringing those together and of, of not limiting. Um, inquiry to a single silo uh, okay next question um just be honest which was your favorite app Ooh. um i think a like a handful that well i'll say that, i'll say <laughs> the one that i like most kind of geeked out about was uh when i got to interview kim stanley robinson the science fiction novelist um i've read probably a solid dozen of his novels um, and been a big fan and I actually interviewed him over email um, once when I used to work for a magazine at these times um, and I'd, I'd seen him speak but I'd never actually like had a full-on conversation with him uh, in that way and so that was the one that I definitely was like oh my god I get to talk with Kim Stanley Robinson for an hour and a half and just like ask him about all the books that I love um, so that was with all, you know, respect and appreciation for everyone else who came on the show. Uh, that was the one that I probably got most hyped about. Yeah. I mean, I think I got different things out of different episodes. A couple of the more recent ones on like, uh, like the one with, um, Patrice Jones, who co-founded Vine Animal Sanctuary, um, mm. I thought was really fascinating speaking with her um it was a recent one that stands out as and that was that was interesting because it was one where she actually has written a book that i hadn't read and often uh you know i'd read some of her shorter writing but um we didn't really talk about her book we more talked about her work and and i think as much as i love talking about people's work it ended up being um you know kind of a memorable memorable experience to talk about sort of her lived experience working with animals um, whereas with others, it was often more about their, either their academic research or their reporting, um, not as much their direct experience, um, which again, I, I'm getting a PhD now. I, I appreciate it and love that stuff too, but that's something that stood out as, as a little bit different than my other interviews in a positive way. Has there been, what was a turning point or a shift? in the life of the pod well <laughs> i think one turning point was when i started the pod i it was during the pandemic i was also dealing with some unrelated health issues i moved back in with my parents i didn't necessarily have a lot else going on um so i was doing just a lot of episodes and a lot of reading for the podcast and having a lot of fun with it. Um, but relatively early on in that first season, I also start, um, started getting back into like freelancing contract journalism work, writing and editing. Um, and so when I had other things on my plate, sometimes it became harder to make time for the podcast. Um, or at least it just made me think a little more intentionally about which books and which authors to interview. I think maybe for the first half of season one, it was just like 
whoever I thought was had an interesting book coming out, I wanted to talk with them. Mm-hmm. And when I didn't have time to do that anymore, I maybe had to think a little more uh, intentionally about what like fits best with the theme of this podcast. And that's why in season two, I kind of tried to separate it into, you know, a four part series on animal agency and a four part series on the trouble with car dependency. Um, and just kind of tried to be less scattershot and maybe more, uh, you know, make some space to dig into a few specific issues. Yeah. So some of those series that you did and the episodes where you were not interviewing anyone, it was just you uh, basically telling a story or kind of delivering an essay on a topic. Um, Some of those were my favorites. And you are, you're a writer and editor. And I know you uh, plan to publish books. Um, But I'm curious, which of the books of the authors you interviewed do you wish that you had written? Mm -hmm. It's kind of funny. The uh, like, no harm is yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, No harm comes to the author. It's just an alternate universe where instead of the author having written that particular book, it's you who gets to enjoy the experience of having written that book. Mm-hmm. I so I have three three that come to mind, um, pretty confidently for this, uh, and it's. Ironically, two of them are the first and the last episode that I posted, um, not including this one. Uh, I wish I wrote ABCs of the Real Dance and Eagle, um, but <laughs> the the other the other, so the very first one that came to mind is episode one: Wild Souls, Freedom and Flourishing in the Non-Human World by Emma Maris. Um, she it's basically uh, for those who haven't listened to that episode. Um, she takes a journalistic approach um, to analyzing various situations where um, the needs of sort of individual wild animals and the broader needs of the ecological whole and the functioning ecosystem either do or don't come to attention. Um, so like a simple example would be like zoos are a place where um, ostensibly in the for the broader goal of conservation of the species, individual or animals are kept confined in often un, you know unhealthy or unideal circumstances. Uh, and she goes through a lot of other type of situations. And what I what I love so much about the book is um, one that she's a, a journalist. She talks with lots of scientists and philosophers about it. She has a lot of reading. Um, it's, she's a great writer. It's, it's fun to read. Um, but she also, unlike, I think a lot of people who aren't philosophers, uh, she spends a lot of time with the ethics and philosophy of this issue. Like she, she doesn't just want to, you know, interview a person who doesn't like zoos and a person who likes zoos and call it a day. She herself reads a ton about zoos and, and really digs into the ethical questions involved and offers her own thoughts, um, many of which I agree with, not all of which, um, but the way she presents them is also with a dose of humility, um, you know, where she's not saying, I definitely have the final answer here, um, but it's just like a, an honest investigation. And that question of kind of 
individuals versus the wholes in wild animal ethics is uh potential you know it's on my list of potential dissertation topics here at CU. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I'm in first semester of my first year. I have a lot of time to figure out what that looks like. Um, but so that's, you know, that's maybe the, probably the book of any book I've read in the last many years. The one, even while I was reading it, I was just like, oh, I really wish I'd read this book. Mm-hmm. Um, two others that stand out more recently that I, We'll spend less time on um, the last one I did, Crossings by Ben Goldfarb, about wild animal crossings mm-hmm. and road crossings. I just thought it was a really nice work of science journalism um, and just kind of opened my eyes to an issue that I kind of generally had a sense was probably a big deal. Um, that, you know, probably cars were bad for wildlife. You know, I'd seen roadkill on the side of the road, um, but mm-hmm. just the scale of it and all the details of it. Um, was just so much that I hadn't even thought to think about, really. Um, and so that kind of just eye-opening new perspective on an important issue uh, was inspiring for me. And then the last one I'll mention um, that's kind of more on the academic side uh, was Eva Meyer, um, uh, an academic I interviewed. Her book was When Animals Speak Toward an Interspecies Democracy. Yeah. Um that that's also an issue that is a potential dissertation topic, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this question of how to how to bring animals into our political systems, processes, institutions, and and how we might transform our own politics to be more uh, more interspecies, more inclusive of of other beings. Um, so so yeah, that, those those three jump to mind. I enjoyed those those podcasts too, and um, yeah, I. I I would enjoy reading those books, I'm sure. And, and I should say too that part of part of choosing those is that they're ones that, that are that are closest to the sorts of things I could see myself doing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like is I the other books I might love just as much, but might even feel more out of reach. Like I'll I'll never be a professional paleontologist. I feel like lost right. my <laughs> um, but but those three at least feel that ship sailed within reach. We'll never say never, but probably not. The ship sailed, but it's not buried. Uh-huh. It can sail it hasn't sunk. Yes. Yes. So, um, yeah, what stood out to me is um, some of those are kind of, or at least the, the first one, is kind of uh, interdisciplinary in nature, which reminds me of your folks. And, and you said the humility that's kind of embedded in that and in the author's uh, perspective. There's there's a there's a rigor to bringing in to synthesizing uh, inquiry from from multiple fields of study, but there's also a humility to it in that, insofar as well, we couldn't figure everything out from this one angle, mm-hmm. and so that's why we're we're opening it up, and we don't necessarily hope to, we wouldn't suppose to have opened it up as as broad as as possible either. Um, okay. Are you down for a speed round? All right, let's go. Okay. What's the most important thing you've learned about animals? (laughs) (laughs) That they like doing things. Like the, the, the fulfilled, happy life for an animal isn't sitting around getting spoon fed. It's... They like doing stuff. 
what's the most important thing you've learned about journalism and or interviewing? That, ooh, that's a good one. You know, that interviewing when people are actually going to have to listen to me is very different than interviewing for written magazines when I get to just rewrite my question afterward. I have to be more precise. I have to be more precise in my questions rather than just kind of, and I, and I also have to string together full sentences in a way that um, I didn't really have to when no one was actually going to listen to the audio. Okay. What's the most important thing you've learned about storytelling? Mm, That it is not a strictly human endeavor. What's the most important thing you've learned about the brain? Mm, that it, well, I, I guess the most important thing I've learned is that we don't really know how the brain creates the mind. Uh, as That is to say, how the physical brain creates feeling, the experiences that we feel, and that that uncertainty, that mystery, if you will, I think uh, creates for me anyway some some humility and some awe in how I look at other life forms that might have very different brains than me, such as perhaps the octopus or the bumblebee. What's the most important thing you've learned about the environmental movement, um, or ecological, uh, the ecology movement, or the the project of uh, a better ecology Mm -hmm. as agenda in the western world i think that sometimes i working at a kind of in like i would say left media spaces progressive socialisty whatever um magazines and websites um a few years ago I, i sometimes felt like uh a, there wasn't enough focus on this, and B, that kind of environmental, um, for most people, meant climate change. Um, and that this was also true if you looked at presidential candidates in the Democratic Party, that often if you clicked on the environment section of their platform, it would be 99% about climate change, which obviously I'm <laughs> part of what motivated me to get into this area is climate change. It's important. Um, it's part of what I focus on, but uh, there's so much more to it in habitat loss and pollution and, uh, you know, species endangerment and uh, a million other things that I'm not thinking of right now. But um, but what I learned is that there actually is a lot of energy and interest in issues um, related to Everything from, you know, environmental justice, air pollution in urban areas to, you know, water pollution in rural areas to, uh, you know, desert ecosystem conservation to the harms done by roads in wildlife to bring it back to that. So um, just, yeah, that kind of um, at times in my past where I thought, why don't other people care about these other issues that um, I care about? Turns out, actually, lots of people did the whole time, and I just hadn't found them yet, um, or wasn't looking in the right places. So that's been nice. What's your favorite animal? 
Oh, um, I just read a pretty incredible essay about elephants. Um, they're up there. I'm I'm a big whale, like humpback. Give me a good humpback whale, uh, or gray whale. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I I part of me wants to sort of. I know this is supposed to be rapid fire, and I'm I'm giving a longer answer, but I think uh, there there's a danger in focusing on only like big brained animals such as the elephant, the chimpanzee, or the or whales, dolphins, um, because we might say, oh, we should be nice to them, um, but not worry as much about um, smaller brained animals, which I think. So I mentioned earlier about the mystery of the brain. Uh, we shouldn't necessarily think of them as like dumber or less valuable because they don't have the precise types of um, complicated cognition that large brain mammals do. All that said, so part of me was trying to think of a, a representative species, you know, that like a fish or something. Um, and I, I do love puffer fish, but um, snails. But I, yeah, that's, I should have said snails. You're right. After that Tom Van Doren episode, uh, I fell in love with snails. But I, but I guess I also do think that there's something a bit um, magical about the way animals, like like social mammals, like elephants, whales, you could throw in wolves, chimpanzees, apes, uh, kind of blur the lines of the human and the non-human, and. And I think that's part of what is attractive about them to me is that they aren't as different as an octopus, say, which I think octopuses are really, really cool in the way that they're different. Um, but they're they're both very different and very the same in ways that uh, kind of blur the boundary altogether in a way that I think is fun. Speaking of having fun blurring boundaries, the question our listeners have all been waiting for what was a formative encounter with an animal you've had in your life so did you have a specific one in mind when you brought this up um there's the the shirtless encounter with the deer yeah that's all i can think about too so i'll just throw that one <laughs> yeah let's just make a meal out of that mm. so no no literally <laughs> i was in college it was the summer between I want to say sophomore, junior year. So I had just turned 20 years old. Um, and I was in Princeton, New Jersey. And one thing to know about Princeton, New Jersey is that uh, it's kind of humid in the summer. So even at in the middle of the night, it still doesn't get that cool. Um, and so I was going for a run at like 11 p.m. or something because during the day it was too hot. And even at 6 p.m. it was too hot, and 11 p.m. it was still a little too hot, but it was at least um, better. So I was in, I was running in the dark, um, and I was on my way back. I'd just gotten back to campus, and it was the summer, so it wasn't that crowded. And I saw a deer, and there was a, uh, like a streetlight area, but the, the road was empty. A deer just like right by the side of the road. Um, grazing on some grass and I it was sort of right in the path I was I was planning to go down and I didn't want to disturb the deer but I also 
uh, I don't know, probably some of you like see deer all the time. They aren't that rare, but I just was very excited to be so close to a deer on my run. And uh, so I did, I forget if there were already two of them at this stage or if they're the second one would arrive later. But um, I I kind of wanted, so I was about to act it out with my hands, but listeners aren't going to be able to see this. So um, basically, I, I didn't want to scare this deer away, but I did want to get closer to the deer. And so I, I went um, kind of, I would say, in a spiral where I went from behind the deer to like at an angle around the deer and did kind of a full like more than 360 degrees, 450. So a full circle plus 90 where I got just slightly closer to the deer. And the deer at one point looked up at me and I just like stopped and I just tried to like exude uh non-threateningness <laughs> what a, i don't know what what that actually meant you know but like you know bombs up uh, <laughs> non-aggressive posture uh keep doing what you're doing and i like also it was the middle of the night i had just been on a run i maybe wasn't like thinking totally rationally but I just, I felt like, it felt like if the deer ran away, that would have been like a fundamental failure on my part. Like, <laughs> like that I had both, both just sort of the guilt of like, oh, this poor deer is just trying to enjoy some grass and I scared it away. And, um, but also just like, I wanted to have a connection and, and if the deer had run away, it just would have shown that that was kind of selfish and futile of me. Um, so anyway, I do this little loop around the deer where I gradually get closer and I end up sort of back in the street. It's one o'clock by now. <laughs> yeah, no, all thoughts of the quality of my run are gone. Um, I'm, I, I was going very slowly. Um, I end up in the street and just really only a few feet away from this deer. who's still eating some grass and, and I'm kind of flanking the deer and I was simultaneously very close to the deer um, and felt metaphorically very far. Uh, I like I was on a road pavement. The deer was on grass. It was, you know, it was grass that was planted by Princeton University. It probably, you know, it wasn't like the deer was in the wilderness, but, um, but if, you know, it felt different. The deer was on dirt. I was on asphalt. I was underneath the street light. I was lit. The deer was in the dark. I was human. The deer was not. Um, I was struck by this distance and just want to, you know, another way that difference manifested that I noticed at the time was that I was uh, wearing clothes. I had a t-shirt, some shorts, some shoes, running shoes, and deer didn't need all that. Deer had hooves and, and fur and, and skin and whatnot. Um, and it just, I, in my head, it was essential that I, in some way, bridge this gap between myself and the deer. Um, and so I, I take my shirt off and I do think I brought up earlier that it's very hot at night at Princeton. Um, my shirt was very sweaty. Apologies. It's just a little gross, but it took me a minute to get the shirt off. This is important because it meant there were several seconds 
where the shirt was over my eyes and I couldn't see. Because when I finally can see again, the deer is staring right at me. And specifically, the deer is staring at my shirt, which is now in my hand, kind of held up over my head. And it's like the deer thinks I'm holding a weapon or a food or just something. The deer is fascinated by the shirt. And I like slowly lower the shirt down and the deer's gaze follows the shirt down. And I slowly lower the shirt down to the ground, asphalt. And I I just kind of slowly back away. And I, you know, I was on a road. I, I did briefly consider going further. Um, but I decided losing my shirt was enough. And I did, I kind of was like, Dayton, what's your end game here? Like getting any closer would actually scare the deer away. Let's leave the deer in peace. And so I just kind of sneaked back, like crouched down and, and grabbed my shirt and went home. Um, but yeah, no, that (laughs) I, I would analyze it, but I feel like it's all pretty clear. Uh, you know, who amongst us wouldn't in a similar situation feel compelled to strip for a deer? Uh, and when, it, when it's so uh, readily in your power to remove such a boundary, right, between another creature and yourself, why, why wouldn't you? Right, Exercise. we were we had more in common after than before. Mm-hmm. So that's a win. You, yeah, if the if the deer could have spoken, it might have said, "Oh, I get it." <laughs> like, how do you take yours off? Uh, <laughs> well, thank you for that. It's one of my favorite stories. Um, thank you for asking. Okay, I have, I have one. No, I have two more questions for you. Sorry, we got that part up. Okay, let's say you pick the pod back up after grad school mm-hmm. or in the middle of grad school who is your first uh who is first on your list to interview Ooh. um there's a couple different ways that could go um one thought i've had is that it could be fun to like interview people who like are at university of colorado um mm-hmm. So either my advisor or other professors who do work that I find interesting. Um, another, th- the other, the other thought that is sort of the, the one person who I most wish I'd interviewed in the first two seasons of the podcast is Amitav Ghosh. Um, I, I brought up his work multiple times um, in episodes and also the Storytelling Animals Book Club. I've read two of his books, The Great Derangement and The Nutmeg's Curse. Um, I just think he has a lot of really interesting ideas about climate change and story and the narratives we tell about it. Um, And the multi-species natures of those voices and more than human elements um, of that are part of the story of climate change. And uh, I actually did reach out to interview him um, for season two, but he, he said he'd, Basically that he'd just done a bunch of interviews and felt like he was repeating himself. And so he told me to circle back like in a few months when he has a new book or when, just when he might have more things to say. Um, and But by the time that a few months had passed, I had started grad school. 
So that could be a a season three, episode one contender mm-hmm. for sure. That would be awesome. Okay, uh, last question for you. What are your hopes for the future, personal and ecological? Well, personal, to obtain my doctorate. Uh, I also, um, you mentioned that I hope to write books. I do want to write, I have you know, at least two ideas for books in the next few years. Um, would love to get at least one of them in motion. Um, and at the very least, hopefully my dissertation will can be turned into a book eventually. Um, so I want to get a doctorate and write a book. And along the way, I want to keep writing for the public in some way, doing journalism. Um, I don't want to only be writing for academic papers while I'm in grad school. Mm-hmm. I want to still be engaged in some way with the public, both as a writer and, and hopefully get involved in advocacy work um, in the area as well. Um, ecologically, what are my hopes? Um, you know, and personally also to be, you know, good uncle, good partner, brother, family, you know, to be good in my individual relationships as well, you know, personal growth and such. Uh, ecologically, what are my goals? To dramatically reduce greenhouse gas emissions in the near term for future. Uh, I think, and I think to, to do that in a way that um, the, I think the, I don't know if the phrase originates with the International Workers of the World, IWW, which was an anarchist labor group, uh, or I guess still is, but um, was active in the early 1900s, or with another radical group, the phrase of of building the new world in the shell of the old um, has resonated with me. And so when I say we need to reduce emissions and restore wildlife habitat and protect endangered species and reduce pollution and all, all these sort of ecological goals. Um, ideally, you know, do so in a way that builds, um, that works towards building new relationships with, with, with each other, with other humans, with more than human nature, different relationships with our, uh, you know, the goods we produce our workplaces, how we consume them, how, um, with our ways of getting around, with our, the ways we eat. Um, and yeah, that just as we're, that we're not just sort of, you know, I know we're not going to get to utopia in time to stop climate change, right? We need to work with the institutions we have. Um, and maybe utopia isn't something you ever get to. It's something you build along the way. Um, but but yeah, that as we're doing what we need to do to combat climate change and mass extinction and whatnot, that we're doing so in a way that is, um, you know, perhaps not overnight, but but transforming and building a new a new world, a new way of relating to each other and to others beyond beyond capitalism, beyond the nation state, beyond patriarchy and white supremacy and human supremacy, um, and just starting to get a glimpse of what uh, what some future utopia in the distant that we may not live to see, uh, what it might look like, and start building it along the way. Right. So, modest goals, but... Well, here's to, to hoping and, and working towards those. Uh, thanks for sharing that. And I have to share um, 
my gratitude for both seasons of your podcast. I thoroughly enjoyed them. They delighted me and they also were edifying and mobilizing, not just in terms of my curiosity and interest, but um, in terms of, you know, my own, my own outlook for, for the present and future. And, and even my experience with uh, the non-human world. Um, I just can't, can I ask if there's any episodes or podcast guests who stood out to you? I think I marveled perhaps most at the the episode that on the on this the snail one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I forget the the author's name. Tom Van Doren. Okay. Yeah, Tom Van Doren's uh, interview was was just really interesting and like I know I'm going to read that book about snails and I know I'm going to love it. <laughs> and it's just all the more fun because I know that I had zero interest in snails before that podcast. Mm-hmm. But but it it gave me a a kick in that direction that that you mentioned which I can relate to of finding connection and affinity with um the the animal world, the plant world, that's not necessarily the uh, large brain mammal demographic. Mm-hmm. Um, um, yeah, I, that's the one that that comes up first for me. But I, if I had the list in front of me right now, I, I could go off on it probably. But I don't have a good answer right now. No, that I, I like to bring that up. And I think I said this on the show, I had the same experience where obviously I'm big in, da- in animals in general. I don't think I had any specific attachment to or thoughts about snails prior to picking up the book. And 20 pages in, I was like, I love snails. Uh, so I hope I was able to convey some of that. And and yeah, I hope you know at least some listeners like yourself have been inspired to pick up some of these books as well. Yeah. I've I've definitely found that that one was was delightful. I've also found a lot of them uh, just satisfyingly rigorous, and you know, um, whereas I might find content on some of the topics you cover other where other places in um, other forms of media, what what your podcast offered was. A very accessible press play speaking, you know, uh, a regular form of English and speaking you know, ex- an accessible language, a very rigorous uh, line of inquiry and just found it deeply interesting. But I really want to congratulate you on the incredible work that you've done and, and thank you for it as a fan. And put in my two cents that it'd be great if it uh, came back uh, someday. But uh, if it doesn't, it's it's wonderful work that you've created. Well, thank you so much, Kyle. And I'm grateful to you for listening. And uh, yeah, no, I I I hope 
they were rigorous in some way that uh probably the most common compliment i got from the people i interviewed afterwards was like some version of oh you like really read the book uh <laughs> um, and that's the uh it's with a couple of exceptions that i note in those episodes that's the storytelling animals guarantee I read the books front to cover uh and yeah no i it's been fun to hear from obviously i hear from you you're my brother um but hear from other people who listen to the podcast um and i'm glad you feel strongly about it on the subject of snails for those in the audience uh for maybe the last year or so since that episode kyle has been maybe once a month sending me a video of a snail or a slug that he sees out and about um oh twice a week at least i thought <laughs> And, and yeah, I actually really like that, uh, <laughs> it has led to a bit more attention to the non-human world in a way, uh, and at least that one small way we both like slimy crawly things more. Um, if you've yeah. achieved nothing, you've lifted up <laughs> gastropoda. Yes. Which. Ever so slightly. That I've achieved everything. Thanks so much. Uh yeah, your questions were great. This was great. I hope I didn't ramble too long. Uh but yeah. Any I don't know, anything else that you wanna bring up or add or I don't think so. I think this was great. I really enjoyed uh getting to be on the last step. It was a pleasure to have you. Thank you, brother. Thanks so much for listening. Um I hope that was even partly as fun for you as it was for us. Uh, I've included a link in the episode description to my brother's book, which you should definitely buy. Um, I have, I think, like I mentioned, friends who don't know my brother at all, but who have loved this book for the kids in their lives. Um, and then, uh, yeah, links to his other work. And then also to the article about elephants that I mentioned, um, having read recently. Thank you so much for listening. Um, whether to this or any prior Storytelling Animals podcast, feel free to reach out with any thoughts or feedback you have. I'd, I'd love to stay in touch as the podcast goes on hiatus. Um, and yeah, hope you're having a great day. For more great iRaw podcasts, visit iRawPod.com. That's I-R-O-A-R-P-O-D dot com. Ah!